you know, a successful accomplishment of like our long-term vision or our North Star is really to grow this modular future of blockchains, accelerate it, help bring it about. And what a result of that will look like is we now have achieved, say, a four to five digit number of functioning rollups. And I would say more than uh, more than half of them are being secured through some type of Hyperlane Interchain Security Module. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Celestia Spotlight. Uh, I'm Nick, COO at Celestia Labs. And the purpose of Celestia Spotlight is to hear from people at the forefront of the modular movement, people building the infrastructure that we're going to be using in the future. Um, Today, my guest is John Call, who is building Hyperlane. And Hyperlane is a permissionless interoperability layer built with a modular security stack. Uh, and that's uh, a lot to unpack. And so we have an exciting episode ahead of us. Um, John, welcome to the show. Uh, I'd love to hear a bit about your background before we jump in. But first, I also have to ask you, have you run a Celestial Light node yet? And if not, uh, why not? What's stopping you? Well, I was trying. I was trying to run it on this, this little Fitbit Versa 2 <laughs> that I bought three years ago. I haven't, we're getting there. Step one, jailbreak the damn thing. But uh, that was like going to be my contribution. And uh, if I don't manage to jailbreak it and get it running, I'm going to make it look like I did because I saw some of those memes and, uh, you know, <laughs> yours, I thought you posted one where you had it on a switch and I was like, damn, this one actually is real because like I know the, like I know the jailbreaking thing that is running in the background to make this happen. So like... It was impressive, but maybe you'll see one for me on the Fitbit. That would be, uh, I'd be very stoked to see that. So I hope you guys <laughs> get it. Um, yeah, let's, let's hear a bit about, about your background before yeah. we dive into uh, Hyperlane. So for sure. So, um, you know, I've been in crypto for a little while. I got uh, really enamored around 2016 when a buddy um, over the weekend is like, yo, John, I'm going to put all of my money into Ethereum. All my friends are doing it. Do you think I should? And why is he asking me this? He's asking me this because like, I'm the only one he knows who presumably knows a thing or two about money. At the time, I'm a bond trader at Morgan Stanley, um, you know, a little bit after, out of school. And like, yeah, this guy's like, ah, put everything I got into Ethereum. He's a dear friend. And we're like, I don't, maybe that's a bad idea. I don't know. So like, let's spend some time on it. And we spent some time on it and we spent the entire weekend and I'm, I am just hooked because I'm someone who, uh, I grew up in Israel and Israel, the banks are fucking awful. The banks treat you as if they're doing you a favor, that they take care of your money. Uh, it's not really your money. It's theirs. You just kind of get to sometimes withdraw some parts of it. And so I'd been, been very interested in anything that will help dismantle the banks. And that's funny from someone who ended up working at an investment bank, but I needed money. So. You know, so spend the entire weekend on Ethereum and I'm like, this is the first thing I've ever seen that might actually like serve my general cause of kind of like dismantling these, these fucking terrible institutions that is just like banks because they've personally like irked me both in Israel. Then I moved to the States. I'm one of the people that Wells Fargo steals money from in the account if you're familiar with like the Los Angeles area scandal that my account was one of them. Uh, and so I come back to the desk on the Monday after that and I'm just like, oh my God, like we are all going to be out of a job. This Ethereum thing, it's coming and we're so fucked. And for the next two years in Morgan Stanley, I am the laughing stock of the desk. I am the crypto guy. I'm this weirdo. Like 
200 people conference calls. They're just laughing at me. And I basically, from that, you know, spring of 2016 for the next year and a half, I just relentlessly learn about crypto. At one point, I become a small-time miner. I think I might even have my, uh, we're, excuse the mess, we're just moving. Uh, might have one of my last GPUs. I kept it as a memento, but was a small-time miner for a little bit. By the end of 2017, I get into crypto officially and find my first job that wasn't going to land me in jail and became a crypto investor at a firm called Passport Capital. Uh, had a good run there. It was, became like the first investor in things like Solana. Uh, also had not so good of a run by investing in things that uh, then kind of like unceremoniously exploded that, uh, you know, I'm sure everyone's thought about and talked about. Spent the next three years before starting Hyperlane at uh, at Galaxy, if you're familiar with Mike Novogratz, it's his firm. Ran the investment business there, had also a great run there. Uh, invested in this like obscure thing called Lazy Ledger at some point. And uh, that thing I think is, do- is doing all right. Um, and, it, you know, this whole time I like very interested in this notion of interoperability. So like on my team, I'm the only one without an engineering, or at least I'm the founding of the only one without an engineering background. And um, I remember like hooking up to the internet in 1996 and like not being able to talk to my buddy who was on a different ISP. Like, uh, you know, our chats wouldn't work, you know, the emails wouldn't work. And then within a year it worked. And so when I heard that blockchains can't talk to each other, um, I was in the San Francisco area, a lot of Cosmos people in the Berkeley and SF area. And they were just like, no, dude, this thing's coming. It's going to change everything. Like these blockchains are going to talk. Don't even worry about it. So I thought it's like a year away. But five years later, it still felt like a year away from being a year away. And so end of 21, there was this opportunity to work on what later became Hyperlane with, you know, and I was really interested in just like letting anyone connect any chain because it seemed insane that these super cool internet computers can't talk to each other. Um, So that's, you know, a little bit about me and kind of like how I got to this point. It's a weird, it's a weird story, but I'm I'm pretty content with my life, with my uh, obscure decisions so far. I love it. Yeah, that's that's quite the transformation from bond trader to uh, you know interoperability geek. Uh, so anyway, yeah, yeah let's uh, let's dive into Hyperlane um, and and so tell us like unpack this whole you know definition that we started with. I'd love to. Yeah, so you know I I came in and you know today I want to talk about Hyperlane. We said no, it's like this permissionless interoperability layer and it's got a modular security stack. So what does that really, really mean? Like if there's one takeaway you should take from the, the entire, you know, 45 minute hour we're going to spend together today. And this is you both, Nick, and certainly the audience. It's the goal of this thing called Hyperlink is to let anyone connect any chain. Um, and why do we do that? Because we believe that if you think about like the problems of blockchains, these sometimes we talk about them, sometimes we don't, but like scaling is still like a major, major issue. Blockchains kind of by definition, you know, constrain digital resources. So every time demand increases, we get the same problem. It's very predictable. And I think that the modular, uh, you know, future of blockchains is really a good solution for it. To me, maybe I'm biased, the most promising solution. So in this world, we're going to end up having a lot of chains and we need a way to connect between them and we need a scalable-ish way to do that. So uh, what do we really mean? You know, like, let's get into it. Sometimes we need 
see stuff talking about hyperlane, like, uh, and I'm sorry for to go on a minor tangent. You'll see us talking about this concept of the interchain highway. It doesn't seem to make any sense, but just think of like us trying to create a path between all these chains floating in space. And to do that, we think we need to enable permissionless interoperability. And to enable permissionless interoperability, we need modular security. So in the same way that um, Celestia kind of heralded this ascent of thinking of a blockchain, not just as this individual thing, but as the combination of multiple operations and layers in a stack, we wanted to bring that notion to security. Um, today, and you know, I recently wrote a piece about this, by why I think that permissionless interoperability and interoperability in general is kind of the last layer of that stack. And we'll spend more time getting into that. But what does it mean to, to sorry, getting moving ahead of myself. Um, how does it complete it? We need this notion of modular security. So at a high level, just think about being able to, instead of having uh, uh, one size fits all, like one security model that tries to address every situation at all times for all people, no matter what, you now delineate security into individual modules. And by virtue of being able to do that, you're going to be able to have a more permissionless way to provision the service that is interoperability. And in that regard, I think it fits quite well into the um, modular stack. So I think one way to, to make more sense of everything I just said would be to talk a little bit of like, what are the problems that are faced by developers and people trying to create and navigate blockchains? And through that, uh, it'll be an easier time to kind of conceptualize and really visualize how something like modular security makes sense, how that helps us obtain something that looks like a permissionless form of interoperability. And we can take it from there if you're up for it. Let's do it. Let's dive in. All right. So there's a general problem that probably everyone in the audience today knows about that is not really worth spending a lot of time on, right? Like, if you are tuning into Celestia Spotlight, I imagine you know about the data availability problem. And if you know about that, you probably are aware of like one of the most fundamental problems that blockchains have, which is they don't know how to digest information that is not endemic to them, right? Like put simply, a blockchain doesn't know anything about the world outside of it. And if you want it to know, you need to find some way to feed it into it. And now you're faced with like this typical garbage in garbage out problem. And this is kind of like a fundamental thing. And if you know, been around crypto enough, you're like, Oh, that's like what feeds in the Oracle problem. Like, yes, that's right. So this general problem of connectivity is what creates the, uh, the necessity for an interoperability solution. But in you know, in the year of our Lord 2023, there are solutions, some of them much better than others, but they don't always work everywhere. Some of them, you know, to some people's view, not as good, but there are solutions. Like technically, if I want to connect, you know, John's chain with Nick's chain, like we can find a way. Not everyone's gonna like that way, but we can find a way. Primarily though, this leads us in to what we think is like the problem that Hyperlane is out to solve. So we have a general problem that we're solving, but really it's about a specific problem of permissioned interoperability. So if you wanted to do any type of like complex action, between a 
you know, two or more chains, you really need more than just like simplistic asset transfer. Now you need to include some logic, right? You need to be able to perform an interchain function call. Uh, maybe you want to do a view call, right? Like in IBC parlance, you want maybe to do something like an interchain query. Um, and that requires some logic to be passed around. Now today, yes, we do have interoperability solutions, but they are quite permissioned. Certainly if you want general message passing, you're looking at completely permission system. And why that is, I think there's a good reason for it. And the, this diagram is kind of meant to illustrate, I'm not the best artist, so I have to excuse me, but I think it stems from the fact that in their effort to create the product that will be the connectivity between chains, the messaging interface, they have lumped it in and tightly coupled it with the security model to secure the message being passed. I think, again, good reason for this. In crypto, like it's the most adversarial environment we've ever created, right? Like uh, a lot of people spend the last like 10, 15 years working at big tech companies where uh, a motto like move fast and break things kind of ruled the day. But certainly like that doesn't really work in crypto. Crypto can't really think like traditional tech. It needs to think more like aerospace because if you move that fast and break things, like you make one small mistake, now you're out nine figures, right? So it's kind of like you make one small mistake and that plane is fucking crashing from the sky. That's not good for anybody. So because of that, people view security as a product within itself. And I don't think they're wrong in doing that, but that has led to them tightly coupling these two things. But it doesn't have to be this way. You can offer things that are uh, at the same product, same product quality on the security side, but now the two become separate. And so with, we talked about this modular uh, security. What does it really mean? It means we are no longer tightly coupling the message interface, one product, with the security product or product features. And that means is that instead of thinking like, okay, so when I use this system, this is its security model. And I know that this is all I get from it. This is what I need to do to get from it. Um, there's actually like a number of options and there's a way for me to operate some parts of it myself. There's a way for others to operate it for me to uh, kind of leverage their service. But in the hyperlink case, it starts off with kind of like a base configuration where different modules will look like, say, they can be as simple as maybe wrapping an existing security provision like IPC. They may be uh, slightly, you know, actually probably the same level of simplicity and just, hey, there's a multisig and that multisig says that this is fine, so I'm good with it. To a bit more complex, like, oh, I want to have uh, a group of validators that are attesting to the state of what, and they are putting money on the line in the form of their stake. And that is what's making me feel comfortable with the, the, the attestation of this nature. To even slightly more uh, more nuanced, like an optimistic system, where now we don't just take the, what was given uh, immediately, we put in some time delay. The sim similar similar in in, uh, in concept to the optimistic rollups that we're all familiar with, but not exactly the same. Where you have some challenge period. During that challenge period, uh, people can observe it. Does this look like a valid transaction? Okay, if it does, let's let it just let it manifest. If it doesn't, let's let's shoot it down. 
Uh, and so that's the concept of modular security. And how does it lead you to permissionless interoperability? Well, in this world, in the world of things being tightly coupled and intertwined, you're always going to need the, the um, permission of the security model operator to basically add your chain into it. It is, has to be a conscious decision from them, or it has to be something that like you can, through some more distributed process, can become a part of. And so that was a lot. So maybe I'll uh, stop there for just a second. Um, but hopefully that you know gave people a moment to kind of like digest uh, things. But and Nick, stop me if I feel like I'm getting too into the weeds. But I think one thing that will be really useful to kind of make sense of what we uh, this this notion of different security modules is to understand like what different flavors do you get in the realm of uh, interoperability? Like high level, what do things look like? How's that sound? Let's do it. Yeah, let's go in. I already have a bunch Excellent. of questions, but I'll save them till till the end. Excellent. Uh, and obviously, feel free to interject. You know, as I mentioned before, I come from I'm an Israeli, so I'm from a place where conversation is a very dynamic uh, thing. So, in interoperability, you get native verification and external verification is kind of like the two main forms. So, native just really means like you're leveraging the consensus mechanism between the two two or more things you're connecting. That's kind of really nice. You know, wherever you can use native verification. It by most people is considered the ideal, and I think it's a very reasonable uh, stance. Like, if you can replicate that consensus in such a way where, like, you don't need to trust anything else, that's really great. You know, that it's closer to trustlessness. Now, it still means that you are trusting A and B, right? It's not magic. There's no magic. Uh, but presumably, if you want to connect, you know, A and B, you're kind of good with both A and B, or else you probably would not be uh, doing that to begin with. So... The, what's the what's the catch? The catch is that it's the most costly method, right? Like replicating consensus is really, really, really expensive. Now, you can design a system with certain set of constraints where under which those constraints, you reduce the cost of this replication. And a great example of that is IBC. So IBC works with chains that look very similar. Mostly, you know, they don't have to technically be Tendermint chains, but they have that same appearance, right? They have fast finality, they have lifeline verification. And in those cases where the chains are, for all intents and purposes, near carbon copies of each other, replicating consensus is not, you know, prohibitively costly. It becomes totally acceptable. But, you know, if it wasn't costly, we would use this everywhere. Everyone would. There's no reason to not leverage this wherever you can. Good news, there are some advancements that are gonna make this uh, more possible. But uh, to date, we are kind of stuck with this. We're mostly like defined you know, systems that I like to call defined rule sets. Uh, those are really the only place where you can easily leverage native verification. So if we have native, the other is external. And the, <laughs> the, the big difference here, you introduce something in the middle, you know, a third party between these two consensus mechanisms you're verifying. So you're still trusting the A and the B, but now you get a little thing in the middle and that little thing can take many forms, as I stated before, right? It could look like, uh, you know, we crazy to think about, but like we actually, you know, very early on, there were single key systems where like one single key was signing off on things. People were like kind of okay with that. It ended terribly, as we all remember. There, 
Now this could be, this is probably more likely would be a multi-sig. Uh, this could take the form of some like proof of stake system where you have validators and they are putting money on the line, as I said earlier. Now there you would have two major classifications. In one case, you concentrate all the stake on one chain. There's a lot of good reason to do that. And there's some really serious like uh, edge case risks that we can get into uh, if you want later, but in the interest of time, I'll, I'll spare that. And the other system is one where it's per chain. So the drawbacks there is you don't get to have the stake have economies of scale because it has to be divided per chain. But you don't have those drawbacks that we can talk about. Namely, like in this in this configuration, you don't need any assumptions about an honest majority. Uh, this system can also take the form of like something optimistic, like we talked about before. Or it could even be some type of magic that we're just... You know, we haven't devised it yet, like think of some cool new multi-party computation systems or uh, anything. And in there, you might not even, it might look like a trustless setup, but ultimately you are still trusting the uh, implementation to have been done correctly. Because, you know, I think this is one area where I diverge from the, um, some of the more, you know, research-oriented people where I consider like, you know, you're still trusting the quality of the implementation. Like we can't forget that, you know, that is... A very important thing, like a lot of implementation bugs have lost um, a lot of money. So all of this uh, leads me to one of the first things we said uh, at the beginning is just we think that like modular blockchains really represent kind of the future of solving, you know, a future solution to a lot of the issues that our industry faces. And what is that going to look like? I think it's going to look like we're going to have a lot of hubs, a lot, a lot of hubs. And what do I mean by a hub? A hub is somewhere where settlement activity concentrates. Uh, but, you know, even even less so than settlement activity concentrates, like, does this hub contribute to the uh, eruption or spreading of other smaller chains? So if the monolithic system is like, let's just build one magic, huge supercomputer, you know, in the modular world, as everyone listening knows, we're just aiming for more smaller computers. And a hub is, to, in my view, anywhere where an increasing number of small computers is connecting to. And so we're going to have a lot of these hubs. But like, what should it mean for you? What does it mean for you? I think it means that we're going to need permissionless interoperability because like there's going to be an increasing number of chains an increasing number of hubs and excuse my language. I will be using the term chain to, to refer to whether it's another layer one, uh, whether it is a, a rollup, a generalized rollup, an app specific rollup, an app chain. I'm going to use it as a catch all term because I think we're moving towards a world where more and more apps are going to command their own chain. You're already seeing this trend uh, beginning. The ascent of Cosmos has been just, and I mean, Cosmos as an ecosystem is the best evidence of that. I don't think this trend is stopping. I'm, of course, super biased and embedding the farm on this trend, but uh, I think we'll find a receptive audience for this trend. So why do you need permissionless interoperability in this world? Because you're just going to keep getting more and more chains. And think of the work that uh, your team is doing by making data availability much more plentiful, right? Like making it much easier to submit fraud proof almost everywhere you need by even 
work that is uh, kind of how like extracurricular by creating Rollkit, one of if not the best uh, rollup frameworks out there. Right, you are effectively making it easier and easier and easier to spin up a new chain. Um, in the meanwhile, we're also seeing businesses come up to cater, right? Like whether it's folks like uh, Caldera and Eclipse and Altlayer and Conduit and Layer N, and, and, and you know the, the number keeps increasing because this category seems to have so much potential. People are making it easier and easier and easier for you to spin up a no chain. Okay, so we're going to end up with a ton of these, right? Like in initially dozens and then hundreds and then thousands and then maybe even millions. Well, like I said earlier, in the bit about like this being the last piece of the stack, what is it all worth if they're all like disconnected islands and there's no easy way for them to communicate? And so with Hyperlink, our goal is to create something that if it's this easy to launch a chain, it should be this easy to get going with interoperability. Right? So if like Rollkit becomes like three commands and I got my rollup running, can Hyperlane be the fourth and fifth command such that now you got connectivity and you're good to go? And that's what we uh, try to create with the system. And so after all that, it's probably time to spend just you know, a couple minutes on how it works. Um, this is a kind of architectural diagram that will show the life cycle of a Hyperlane message. And luckily, it also shows all three parts of the system. In Hyperlane, there's really three levels to, to it working. There's the mailbox. This is a contract that does exactly what it sounds like. It sends and receives information between chains. There's the modular security stack expressed here through an interchain security modules, or in our lingo, ISMs uh, for short. And there's the relayer. The relayer is a permissionless agent, a bot between chains that uh, processes the messages. If you're familiar with IBC relayers, this relayer uh, looks and feels very much the same. So we'll go through a quick life cycle of a message. Got the mailbox. You're a, a user. You um, either like an app or an EOA. You're sending something to the mailbox. The mailbox has this interface, uh, a dispatch function that takes in the destination, like which chain are you going to? Which address on that chain? And it also has, we said it sends and receives, it also has the logic for receiving. So in this case, we call it handle. And as you get into that logic, now you're starting to get to that modular security stack that we uh, touched on before. This is where things like uh, validators or like an optimistic watchtower can come in. And the cool thing about Hyperlane is that when you define how you receive the information, that's when you're selecting uh, and you're really defining which security modules do I want to use and how do I want to use them. So now that's the second level is the security models. This is uh, if the mailbox all on chain, the security modules are mostly on chain uh, insofar as like the logic, but they can also have an off chain component like this watchtower, like some uh, additional software to validate uh, the state of a chain. And again, the third, the relayer. So once a message has been sent to the mailbox, relayers look at the mailbox. They see, oh, Nick is sending something from Celestia to, uh, to Avalanche, 
for whatever reason. Nick, Nick wants to see what's going on on Avalanche. He's a big, big AVAX guy. And uh, the relayer sees that and he's like, oh, Nick left a nice tip here for me. I'm going to take that. Thank you, please. And with that, uh, the relayer goes to the mailbox on Avalanche, pays the gas fee such that you, Nick, never had to have AVAX. You paid for it in the native gas token on your origin chain. So in this case, you paid for it with um, with the Celestia gas token. And you don't have to worry about AVAX. That, uh, the relayer took care of it for you. And now that transaction is included. It goes through the security model. So being included doesn't mean that it'll get processed because maybe the security model's logic says, wait a minute, something here doesn't look right. Um, if everything looks good, and the security model checks pass. Now it gets to its destination and all is well. Um, and so that is kind of like a high level of Hideworks. And I think, you know, maybe now's a good time to hit some questions. We can talk a little bit more about um, the, the different ways that modular security can work, like the different ways that people can leverage Hyperlane, like uh, anything that comes to mind, really. Perfect. Yeah, I've, I've, I'm uh, eager to, to ask some questions that, that came up to mind. Um, the first thing that uh, I want to touch on, because, you know, we've had, you know, conversations one-on-one -on -one about this. I thought this was really interesting, the way that you framed it, is how this security model, uh, you know, gives you a menu of different ways of verifying, you know, the message that you receive. And I remember you also saying that there's even, it can be conditional. So, you know, depending on the, like the type of message or the amount of money in the message, you, it goes through a different sort of security module. I thought, found that really, really interesting. And, and you also kind of made an analogy to how the real world works. So maybe um, touch on that for a bit. Perfect. And maybe actually like, the, well, go back to this uh, slide for one second here because it's relevant. But um, so think about it like this. You go, actually, I, I just had this happen. Uh, as mentioned, we're moving. I have to take care of some things in the bank. Normally when I go into the bank and I need to get like $100 out, they just, I put in the pin and like no questions asked and I can leave there in two seconds. This time around, I needed to wire a slightly larger sum, you know, over $10,000. Over, uh, $10, and I got, got a good line of questioning. Remember the last five transactions that your account did? Who's the direct deposit on your account? Uh, do you remember the other name on this account? Like, what's the address? Do you remember the address you changed from recently? Different security protocol, right? I was doing something different. The bank wanted to do something, treated me differently, questioned me in a different way, had different security procedures. And the one time I tried to close my account, I'm still a Wells Fargo client, so I was unsuccessful. They really ran me through a ringer of, uh, of questions that... Uh, it took a while to the point that I just gave up, never closed it, still have that same account. So the bank used different modes of security based on my action. And that, as a concept, is something I think a lot of people will find agreeable. And so wanted to bring that same idea to Hyperlane. So, you know, in this little um, diagram we got here, you can see, okay, so we're sending something from Ethereum, goes to some contract, and then it hits the modular security stack. And it needs to go through some uh, some of these configurations. So with Hyperlane, like I mentioned earlier, when you are configuring 
when you set it up, you're deciding, how do I want to receive this? And as you do that, you're, start, you're defining like, I want to use this security module, I want to use this security module, and I want to use this security module. Well, guess what that also means? You, no one uh, will know better how to kind of decode the contents uh, of your messages than the implementer, right? Like you're the most familiar with them. And so let's say you are, um, you know, you're like a lending app or you're like you're a, you're a margining app and someone wants to deposit collateral on ETH to borrow something, uh, say on Osmosis. Well, as the, as this app, you know what your message contents look like, you know what your function calls look like. And so as the message comes through, you can say, wait a second, what is this person doing? Is this person just taking out a small loan, you know, less than like 10 basis points of my lending pool? Well, that looks all right. How about we just go through economic security because there's enough stake in our pool to secure this, right? Like there's more stake covering the amount at risk. So it doesn't make sense for these validators to do something. And this could be the fastest path. Let's go through that. Then another action. Oh, wait a second. This person's trying to take the clear out the entire liquidity pool for this asset. That don't look right. That, how often is that going to happen? And you know what? If you really need that much... <laughs> should that ever happen, you know? <laughs> should that ever happen, right? Should that ever... How often is that going to happen? How often does someone come into the vault and is like, guess what we're doing today? We're taking everything out. <laughs> Probably not very often, right? Something is amiss. Even if it looks right, you might want to take a little while. And again, like whenever major, major transactions have happened, right? Like they always raise eyebrows. You see people like on Twitter up in arms when there's like a three, $400 million, uh, you know, total action and some type of defects or like a series of defects. So clearly people are paying attention to these large moves. So as the app itself, you can be aware of this and you can say something different is happening here, a different action from the one that came before it. And I want to treat it differently. I want to run it through a different security protocol. So maybe in this case, you say, I want to run it through the optimistic system because this just feels fundamentally different. And you know what? Do you really need that 100 million? Like right now, could you wait 12 hours? Is that okay? And so that's this concept of not just have like, it's one thing to have the different modules and being able to, as an app, pick them. It's another thing to then pick through them dynamically based on what uh, the users are doing. And, um, you know, I think this is where it pays to kind of be a, a simpleton like myself uh, and kind of stepping into crypto and being like, okay, look, I get it. I know that uh, it, if, we, if I could design something that is always the best, no matter what, like, of course I do it, but I don't think I can. I don't think anybody can. And I think, you know, by year six of doing this, you know, like I've seen enough, you know, bodies on the road from trying to do this that don't want to. So like, let's have a menu of options. Doesn't need to be too many. And let's let people kind of pick and operate the right ones. And one thing I should mention, Hyperlink does offer the ability for people to write their own. But realistically, like, I don't think that's going to happen in the immediate term. Simply because, like, it's it's still a new system. People still need to get comfortable with it. But certainly, I could see a world four or five years from now where there's kind of like a robust market of security operations, 
where you could even have competing, right? So like there, there might be competing optimistic systems for the same set of chains. There might be competing, uh, you know, like uh, economic uh, security modules for the same set of chains. But we're, don't think we're there yet, but uh, it's nice to have the options. Hopefully that covered, and certainly if it didn't, I'm happy to get deeper into any uh, anything I just said. No, that, that was perfect. And uh, to me, this is one of the biggest selling points of Hyperlane is is this dynamic nature to the bridging because, I mean, it just makes so much sense. And, and like, uh, I don't know why someone hadn't thought of that before. I know in, you know, in Cosmos, they are adding things like, you know, uh, rate limiting to the, to the yep. bridge, but like, that's not quite the same as not quite as deep as this sort of like modular dynamic, uh, you know, verification logic for the bridge. And, and like, I can see so many benefits also for user experience because let's say I'm just bridging, you know, $10 or hundred dollars. It's like, do I have to wait, you know, the seven days or whatever for an optimistic bridge? Like that makes no sense. And that's such a pain. Um, maybe a multi-sig is actually fine because like you trust that multi-sig enough for that amount of value, you know, and then all of a sudden it can be basically instant. And so um, it just, it just makes a lot of sense, you know? Um, and so I'm very excited for this. I have another question that's kind of built, built on that, which is, you know, uh, in the modular stack, we do want to eventually build towards these trust minimized bridges, right? Where, and uh, like the the bridge actually fully verifies the execution of the other chain and so you're you're trying to minimize the amount of like assumptions you make you know so that you can't be exploited of course um my question is and, the, the, and those things are not ready yet like the, i mean there are some implementations of them but i think it's still like a ways away before those are like practical and deployed you know as a standard um my question is does the does hyperlane's model make it easier for us to sort of like gradually upgrade you know like keep the same bridge basically between these two chains or rollups and then add new security features as they become practical and usable so like it's not like oh we have to like implement a whole new bridge or start over from scratch but we're just going to add a new pathway or something i don't know oh well you i love that you asked that question i love the ask that question this is again. This is where big benefit to uh, if you're if you're gonna start a company, I recommend being a little bit of a simpleton and finding really 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 smart people and surrounding yourself with them. And I am so lucky that I am said simpleton and I found like an incredible uh, brilliant group of people to to join me along with this ride. And you you want to do exactly what you described. It's like wait a second. So I I have tremendous faith in our industry and the people working uh, on all parts of it that yes certain things aren't ready yet but you know i talked earlier about like native verification and wherever it is available like it is the ideal i do want to use it so how can i use it so uh, if we really kind of like decompose what nism is an interchange security module it's a really simple thing it's just uh, a wrapper on some bit of logic that makes you feel comfortable about what's coming in. So it, you know, you give it some type of thing that would make you feel comfortable. You know, maybe it's, in some cases, it's a multi-sig, in some cases, it's an optimistic system. In some cases, it'll be native verification, wherever, you know, wherever you can get it, probably native verification makes you feel quite well. And you wrap that, and you kind of make that a logic gate for, hey, 
did that condition happen? Oh, like, is this thing that's supposed to make me comfortable saying I should be comfortable? Oh, it does? Okay, cool. Go through the gate. Oh, it doesn't? Like, hold up. Like, what's going on? And so what does that mean? It means that, again, we can kind of wrap anything that would make us feel comfortable. Now, conceptually, there is no barrier to any form of investment being wrapped up as an ISM. And really, this is, you know, why did I make the, the simpleton comment earlier? Is because, like, that was kind of like a requirement we laid out because it seemed like, wait a second, at some point, someone's going to figure out better things in this. And we are asking people to use this thing that we've built to put, the, you know, their hard work, their life's work in some cases on it, right? Like, what does it mean to, you know, integrate into something like Hyperland? It means that, you know, you're, you're kind of using this bit of infrastructure and you hope that it treats you well and you hope that it grows with you. And so this ability to uh, absorb, you know, new models and new advancements as they come up was imperative. And so it really should be as simple for the user because uh, as kind of like, you know, changing, uh, sometimes I grew up playing a lot of like Nintendo games. I love, love the N64. So it's kind of like taking the cartridge out and putting a new one in um, or just like adding it. Imagine you've got an infinite amount of cartridge slots because sometimes you want to use multiple ones based on the situation. So as I said before, when you do the second side of the integration, right? Like when you define the receiving logic, you say, hey, look at security modules A, B, and C. Well, now if there's a D that you like better, how do you do it? You go back to your handle function and you say, hey, now, now let's look at D as well. So the moment that these new advancements happen, we wrap them in an ISM, someone wraps them. This is actually where like this, this notion of anyone being able to write the, uh, a new ISM can come in quite handy. Um, and that can kind of be forwarded to the network for other people to use that. And what does that what does actually result in? If you're already running Hyperlint, you just point to a different thing. But like the assets that you're moving over, all the other integrations you have, like everything else just keeps on working. Um, so being able to do that was really important. So uh, sorry for the long-winded answer, but I was so happy you asked that. That's such a, it really hits on a lot of things we've been thinking about for the last couple of years. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I think um, the I mean, bridge technology will always be growing. I mean, I hope it's always like changing and, and, and you know, being upgraded and improved upon. And, and so if that's the case, we need to build infrastructure that can accommodate that. Um, and so it just, again, makes, makes so much sense to me. Um, I have a question that, you know, we, we've talked about a little bit, uh, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, but I, I think that the audience will also be interested in, which is, you know, I want to put Hyperlane in the context of the broader bridging category, because, you know, there's so many bridges out there. Well, well I also think the term bridge is, is just very overloaded, you know, um, because it can, it, you know, it, like, there, it's not like every everything that people call a bridge is, is really the same thing. Like you have you have things like, you know, uh, like a, like a multi-sig bridge, like you know that someone operates, or or it could be its own sort of protocol like Axelar that acts as this committee that you know attests to the validity of of different um, chains. Um, but you also have things like IBC, which is not like it's not like a not something that someone operates. It's more of like you know, a set of functions and standards 
that different chains can opt into. And then, you know, if they follow that, then they can talk to each other. And, and to me, I guess, Hyperlane seems more like sort of IBC type of bridge. And maybe, so maybe you could just like sort of high level see like how you see the bridging landscape and then where where does Hyperlane slot into that? That was a lot, yeah. That is a very good way, a very articulate way to frame it. I'll, I'll start by saying, you know, I, uh, I used to, and maybe this is dumb, but I used to kind of be like, ah, not a bridge, don't call it a bridge. Uh, and my team would go, um, would, would, would very usually get upset with me for that. But uh, I'll go into why I still think that is the case, although I'm less militant about it. I would say your diagnosis was very, very accurate in the sense that we view Hyperlane as, uh, or I should say, we view IBC as our spiritual predecessor. In fact, like Hyperlane came out of an effort of treating IBC as this is to date the best way that we figured out how to do this thing that we want to do. What was it the thing that we wanted to do? We wanted to let anyone connect any chain. Um, and again, by, by that point in time, IBC seemed clear cut the best way to do it. But we, um, but where it felt a little bit short was on the any chain part, because as I mentioned before, it uh, is it's quite uh, rigid in it, right? Like it, you know, the things that it will uh, work with and kind of give you the guarantees that you expect from it are a limited set of chain and chains. And unfortunately, while Cosmos is certainly growing, it is not the largest ecosystem just yet. And so we wanted to take IBC, use it as like the, you know, the starting point that like, how do we make this much more extensible so we can enter different environments, different ecosystems. And so uh, where I would say is like, you, you have things that are just actually just bridges. They're just like focusing on asset transfer and uh, they have different forms. And so I'd like, I would uh, put it, put the systems, like I would describe them by uh, like an axis of how permissioned they are. And this generally lends itself to like what I spoke about earlier, this tightly coupling of uh, product messaging interface and product of security. And another axis of uh, what are like the, the security guarantees that I can get from this thing. And so on like the, you know, on one far, far uh, corner, you have something like IBC because it is very permissionless. Uh, and at the same time, it can offer, uh, you know, very like very strong security guarantees that don't really require a lot of trust. Um, you then have, you would have something like um, a more, you know, committee-based bridge, like a, a specific and locked in set of, um, of validators as being kind of much further out on the permissioned uh, set. But as long as those validators are good, you might get like, you know, still really good security guarantees. Um, Hyperlane is on that permissionless axis, I'd say around that same place of, of IBC, but you want to evaluate like each different module setting as landing on a different place uh, on the other axis of like, you know, how secure is this really? Like, what am I trusting in the system, right? Because in some cases, modules will just be wrapping, you know, native verification systems, which that's amazing where they exist. 
And in some, the modules are going to be as simple as like a multisig. Uh, and at other times, the modules are going to be like more optimistic. So you'll kind of land in different parts of um, these axes. And maybe, you know, maybe in retrospect, that makes this two-axis system not a useful way to uh, dissect, you know, where does something like hyperlink lay on the landscape. But uh, I'd say, like, if we're if we're maximalists of anything, it's the notion of like anyone should be able to just do this, and we don't want to be able to stop anyone. And so, permissionlessness is the thing we care about uh, the most, and probably a bit more permissive, uh, I guess, pun somewhat intended, um, with different security modules laying in different parts of the uh, of the spectrum. And so, um, yeah, I think just offering the choice is how we kind of reconcile that in some cases you're going to end up with something that can be highly trusted where like it might be you know you might end up on a roll-up where like the thing that's securing the outbound communication from it through hyperlane is genuinely just like a multi-sig controlled by the, the people who created that roll-up and uh, we think pragmatically that'll be fine for a lot of users for quite some time um, and then in other cases like an ISM is going to just be like wrapping something like an IBC outbound channel. Um, so that's kind of how I see that. Yeah, um, I think that, you know, the, the, the permissionless part of this is what's so important because, you know, as you said in, in, in your presentation, uh, and we say this all the time on this, this podcast, um, the modular future is one where there's going to be a proliferation of different blockchains and um, it's just not going to be possible or, you know, or desirable for every time every, uh, someone launches a new rollup, they have to actually like go and do business development to get supported so they can actually bridge assets. It needs to work out of the box without them having to like call someone up, you know? Um, and that's, that's really, I think also just a core value of, of the blockchain ecosystem is like permissionless innovation. And so I, I'm really, you know, glad and aligned that, you know, Hyperlane believes in that kind of. Um, I'm so happy you use that term. Well. I'm so happy you use that term, permissionless innovation. Uh, it is, you know, there's actually a whole book. I forget the, the name of the offer. Um, but this is something that was ingrained in me, I'd say, more than like, I don't know, 12 something years ago, whenever I started like maturing as, you know, a person in the world. I'm turning 33 soon, so that, that stings a little. Um, but this concept of permissionless innovation, since ever understanding it and hearing about it, became obsessed with it and i think that is really what drew me into crypto in the first place the fact that like i just don't have to ask and i guess personally i find that appealing because i never liked asking like even you know uh i, I was in the idf for a little bit and i may or may not have spent some time in like army jail because i don't like asking um and i you know i'm not a big like rule follower as a person and this way of like i can just do stuff in crypto and like I can just use it and I don't have to ask anybody. Like this is the reason why I think software as a category has just kind of exploded over the last three decades. And I think it what makes crypto so appealing. And so like the idea that we're going to make it so easy for you to just like spin up a chain, but then we're going to like, you know, you're going to do that. And now you have to like find some, you know, large interoperability provider and you're going to have to like basically ask them to come and, and help you. And like, what are you doing if, if they say no? And like, actually worse than them saying no, what do you do if they say, if they fucking say nothing, right? If they just ignore, right? Because you're too small, because you're, you're the crypto equivalent of like two guys in a garage, which I guess maybe is like, you know, two, uh, 
two anime PFPs hanging out in like a gather town. Uh, what do you do? Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, completely agree. Um, so to shift gears a little bit uh, and start, start to wrap up, um, I'm curious, you know, just selfishly, how you first heard about modular blockchains and how you kind of, I don't know, got into that frame of mind and, and that how maybe that also informs some of the design of, of Hyperlane, as you said, that you take, take this sort of like modular, like decoupling approach. You know, uh, sheer luck, sheer serendipity. So I, uh, I happened to go to the school at UC Berkeley and uh, some of the first people I met who were into crypto were all like, you know, uh, some would call them cosmonauts. Zaki once made an analogy when talking with me about um, how they were all like monks in a monastery. And it, it feels like, he didn't say this, but to me it feels like that monastery was dead set in Berkeley, California. Uh, and so I got to run into this idea and like they didn't use the same language that I think Celestia uh, codified really. But the concept they were heralding is like one of app chains. And certainly like the construction wasn't as clear, the messaging wasn't as clear as it is today. But so that kind of planted the seed and like this notion that, yeah, this, you know, this like new version of the internet is going to be first a little bit more asynchronous than we think because like the, all the internet works in an asynchronous fashion. So like that seems not surprising. And then that you're going to have dedicated environments for dedicated applications. That also doesn't seem like that crazy, right? Like most companies have like, you know, their own little racks. Um, and so that's where I first exposed to it. And then it just continues a lot of just luck, right? Like at a certain point, uh, I become friends with another like good uh, cosmonaut. And later on, we end up uh, working together at Galaxy and they become obsessed with this like paper about this thing called lazy ledger. And, you know, so like that exposed me to what later became Celestia and like just being in that orbit and just working with all these, like, I guess one thing I suffer from is sometimes like having um, delusional faith in certain ideas. Uh, And sometimes it's really worked out, right? Like having that in crypto six, seven years, it was, it was a great, great uh, outcome for me. Um, and in this case as well, right? Like just thinking like, wait a second, I'm seeing these people are like, they're in crypto for the right reasons. They are not going to stop no matter what, like they are not flinching, not for a second. So I'm positive that like, not only does this make sense to me based on everything I said before, there just like feels like this is going to sound like the, but the vibes were good. You know, like these are people who are not going to go anywhere. Like we didn't go anywhere when crypto sucked uh, a few years ago it sucks again now a little bit like who cares like i'm you're gonna have to drag me out of this industry and it seemed like the people working on this problem were exactly of that same mindset so i was like this feels good that we want to be here yeah you uh, i was just smiling and nodding that whole time because uh i could not agree more um i think you know it's really important in crypto to, uh, I don't know, align yourself with the people who are in it for the right reasons and, you know, who want to use crypto to affect civilization level change. And, and when that's your motivation, it doesn't matter whether it's a bull or bear market. It's like, we're going to build this because we believe that this is what the world needs. And, um, that's just, there's just something about that that is so inspiring. And when you surround yourself with those kind of people, it just, it feeds on itself, you know, and totally. I definitely think 
Cosmos community has that. I think Ethereum community has that. I also think that the, the modular community very much has that. And um, yeah, I, I could not agree more. So um, yeah, to close things down, uh, you know, what, what's the, the long-term vision for Hyperlane? And also what is the, the near-term roadmap and what can people expect from the Hyperlane team in the next you know, six months or, or a year? course oh, that's a lot of fun love to answer that so the long-term kind of like vision is we not only so you talked about just civilization level change so to, to, to affect that i think it's imperative that uh, when you're building something you're not just building something that you know first foremost has to be able to grow the the, the pie of the crypto economy but second can it help accelerate its rate of growth so can we do that for the modular world. So, uh, you know, a successful accomplishment of like our long-term vision or our North Star is really to grow this modular future of blockchains, accelerate it, help bring it about. And what a result of that will look like is we now have achieved say a four to five digit number of functioning uh, rollups. There are, you know, annually hundreds of billions of transactions flowing between them and i would say more than uh, more than half of them are being secured through some type of hyperlane interchain security module that would be like the long-term vision that we want to realize and the only way that we achieve that is if we fulfill the goal of letting anyone connect any chain um that's that's you know that's going to take a few years that has a lot of other dependencies but uh you know like you said, we're we're kind of here and we're gonna like do this thing. We're gonna basically die trying, and I'm I'm okay with that. And I think this ecosystem kind of self-selects for people who are like that because all the other people are just like, you guys are crazy. I don't want to be around you. That's cool. That's fine. Uh, more short term, you can anticipate uh, a number of things. So first, I'd say like, you know, just keep tabs of what we're doing through either the Twitter account or the Discord. We have a really fun Discord. It's still uh, kind of like a small place. And so you can have a lot of fun conversations there with other people building on Hyperlink. And that's the best way to stay updated. But in the imminent future, uh, watch for Hyperlink's expansion into new environments. Uh, I'd say sometime over the next six months, you'll see Hyperlane appearing uh, as supportable for C-Level, the Solana VM for fuel VM and uh, perhaps most importantly its appearance as both a Cosmos SDK module and a Cosmwasm um, set of instructions and so all of that like gets us closer to being um, able to allow anyone to connect any chain because again like hey if, if I can do it in theory but then I actually need to like write the entire interpretation for like a different environment that's kind of tough so we, we definitely want to deliver on that and um, those are the biggest things that you'll see from us in the near term. Wow, that's a lot of uh, expansion. I mean, the the list that you had there is pretty much, you know, I would say the majority of every chain out there. Um, so that's that's really exciting. And uh, yeah, I mean, people should definitely uh, keep tabs on what you guys are doing. Follow you guys on Twitter. Hop in on the Discord. Um, John, you know, thanks for sharing all your knowledge and insight on the bridging problem and also explaining to us more about what, what Hyperlane does and your vision for permissionless interoperability and, and modular security. I think, um, you know, we started out the episode with that, you know, as, as a phrase and, and 
I really think we, we were able to unpack that and really explain uh, what that means and why it's so important. So, uh, you know, thank you so much for coming on and, and hopefully people learned a lot. Thank you. It was a pleasure.